Welcome to the Women Changing the World podcast, a podcast on a mission to bring you some of the most amazing women I know who are doing incredible things to generally make the world a better place. From corporate sustainability to straight up magic and everything in between, you'll meet the real life humans who are birthing the new. I'm your host, Liz Vest, and I'm here to amplify the stories and voices of women who are changing the world. Welcome to another new episode of the Women Changing the World podcast. Today, I am super excited to go deep with Marina Brendan, who is a portfolio manager for Latin America and the Caribbean at the Global Green Growth Institute, or GGGI. Um, We talk about all sorts of stuff from what's happening in the climate movement at this moment to her definition of leadership and the advice that she wishes she could give her 20-something-year-old self. Uh, I just know you're going to love this conversation with Marina. Hello, and welcome to another new episode of the Women Changing the World podcast. I am really, really, really excited to be here with Marina Brendan, who is someone I've known, gosh, for over a decade now. Um, She's currently the portfolio manager for Latin America and the Caribbean at GGI, but she's also just an all-around awesome and super interesting human being who has had um, so much cool experience in life and work, and I'm super excited for our conversation today. Thank you so much, Liz. It's so great to be here, and thanks for inviting me. Oh my gosh, of course, of course. Um, Well, maybe before I jump into asking you questions, um, of which I have many, uh, would you mind just briefly introducing yourself to anyone who's listening? Yes, of course. So thank you so much again for inviting me and for all the amazing work that you've been doing and sharing all the great women you know through this podcast. It's been really great for me to reconnect with you this last year and also through you to meet so many amazing women and learn more about how we can um, make a better impact on this world. So I'm very excited to be here today. Um, My name is Marina, as Liz mentioned, and I work on climate change mitigation and adaptation projects for GGGI, which is an international organization. Um, Our headquarters is based in Seoul, South Korea, and we have offices all over Latin America, Africa, and Asia and the Pacific. Um, I've been working in this sector for around 10 years or so, and I'm so excited now to see the world finally paying attention, it seems, to climate change and to see young people holding their governments and companies accountable and just seeing like a kind of global movement rising up committed to addressing climate change. And I grew up in Arizona and I spent my university and grad school years in Southern California. I lived in Thailand for a little bit and for several years in Korea. And now I'm currently based in Mexico City. And in addition to my day-to-day work, I also do a little bit of Korean English translation. And I love to cook and do all sorts of creative activities and spend as much time as possible outside. 
Oh, I love it. Well, thank you so much for sharing that with us. Um, and you've had so much interesting experience, I think both international work experience, which we'll definitely get into, uh, and just experiences around the globe. Um, I'm curious, I ask everyone this question, if you could change one thing about the world, what would be your one thing? Um, so my one thing would definitely be to create a more sustainable and equitable world where the environment is protected and the most vulnerable people on the earth can flourish. But I was thinking about this, and I know you said just one thing, but I think there's also kind of a personal side to this that I wanted to talk a little bit also, because I think um, I've recognized this more and more in my personal life and in climate work that I would also love to see a world where people recognize their wounds and heal their trauma and are able to put aside their egos for the sake of people on the planet. And mm. I, I don't work like on the psychology side of things, but I see so much of like our global trauma and our organizational trauma and our personal trauma relating and stemming from those issues. So it's also something I'm very passionate about. Oh my gosh. Well, I love that. It's something I'm super passionate about too. And I feel like it's like the two really go hand in hand, right? It feels like we need the personal healing in order to also have this like collective earth healing that we so desperately need. Exactly. And I see like so many, you know, so many people using their power in a way that um, is obviously a reflection of their uh, unhealed wounds and, you know, egos and things like that. And I think we could all get so much further in the world and so much further in solving these big problems of our planet if um, we all committed to address those things within ourselves. Well, I'd love to hear what led you to want to work in the climate space, because you've been working in the climate space, you know, since arguably like before it was cool. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a long story, but I guess to to give a, a summary, I think I grew up in Arizona. So I remember from a super young age, learning about like, water conservation and recycling and the amazing animals and plants of the desert and all of that sort of thing. But it wasn't really until I started thinking about my career that I decided I wanted to work in this space. Um, I had been really interested in working in international development and especially poverty reduction. But the more experience I got in that area and the more I learned about like real solutions for reducing poverty, I really saw that humans uh, and their livelihoods could not be disconnected from the planet. And um, that if we really wanna make lasting change, for the poorest and most vulnerable people among us, we also have to take care of and protect the environment where they live. I think so many people, especially a lot of people who live in poverty, live off the land and their lives are completely interconnected with the environment. And in fact, I think all of our lives are interconnected with the environment. We just don't always recognize it as much. And yeah, I mean, I truly believe that we can't solve the problem of poverty and suffering without protecting and caring for our climate. And yeah, that's really what inspired me to want to work within this space and, and to focus on both sides of that coin, both poverty reduction and also um, mitigating and adapting to climate change. 
Oh, yes, I could not agree more with that motivation. I feel like that work on both sides of the equation, as you outlined it, is so, so sorely needed and has been for a long time. And I hope it's not needed for a long time into the future, but it, it seems like it may be. Um, I, I mean, I think I, I mean, there's so much again that I want to ask you, but uh, I, you know, for a lot of our listeners, it's really interesting to hear about some of those twists and turns to get to where you are today. Because I think often it's like there's a quote that I'm gonna like misattribute and not quote correctly, but it's like you can connect the dots looking backwards, um, but in the moment it doesn't always feel that way. Um, so I would love to hear more about your story of specifically how you came to be where you are today. And again, the invitation is please take up space and give us a long version. Okay, thank you so much, Liz, and I'm I'm so happy to share and also shout out to Liz for helping me kind of craft this story in um, one of her masterminds. So thank you very much for that, Liz. Um, oh my gosh, of course. Yeah, so I think when, <laughs> when I think back, you know, over all of my life and my career, I think it's easy to look back on it now and, and draw a, a story from it. But I totally agree with what you're saying that it's harder in that moment and um, it's something that I always feel passionate about when I talk to younger people as they're kind of navigating those waters that like someday you'll be able to look back and see how everything is connected. So I think for me, um, I would start my story back to memories of my childhood. Um, my Nana, who was from northern Mexico, was born at a time when the U.S., um, border between Mexico and the U.S. meant opening a small latch on a wooden fence and walking across. And she happened to be um, born in the U.S. Her mom walked across the border and gave birth to her in the United States. And that, of course, changed the trajectory of her life and therefore my own. And when we were children, I remember we would go with my parents and her back to her hometown. Um, and it, they lived in a small town in, in Sonora in northern Mexico. And the, I remember always playing outside and the, the earth was always so dry. And we would kick up dust all the time and they would be sweeping all the time. And while we were there, my Nana would tell us stories of when of her childhood, when they had a property covered with orange trees and the soil was super rich and it was um, they watered the trees with the river that flew behind the property. But today, the water do sometimes doesn't even come out of the sink. And I think of that story, and I think that that is climate change manifested. And it was that experience and the hearing these stories that probably first planted the seeds of the foundation of my career. So I Graduated from undergrad, I went to USC um, just before the recession in 2008. And I was super lucky that before everything went awry, I had won a Fulbright grant to go to Korea. Um, and that was kind of how I started my career. I was working on some educational programs and um, in a program with North Korean defectors who were trying to transition to like an independent life in uh, South Korea. And also at this time, Korea had started expanding its role as a large international donor. Um, 
And I was very fascinated with this kind of story and this transition of a country that was once a recipient of international donor and development finance um, and now had become a donor. And this story and my experiences there motivated me to go back to grad school um, and to learn more about these kinds of dynamics in the world. And so I went back to graduate school at UCSD, which is where Liz and I met. Mm-hmm. And, <laughs> and I think it was this period and in the internship that I had during this time that really made, like, started my focus down this climate change path. Um, during the summer, we had an, uh, we all participated in internships, and mine was at the UN Economic and Social Commission for Asia in the Pacific, which is in um, Bangkok, Thailand. And during that time, I was working on this municipal solid waste management project for secondary cities in Asia and the Pacific. And yeah, I think it was through this project that I really started to understand things like overconsumption, unsustainable uh, systems, the way that we abuse the planet and how it affects the most vulnerable people in society. And at the same time, this project focused on using waste as a resource, which was kind of my first foray into um, learning and understanding more about circular economy. And so I was inspired to continue down that path and upon graduation was doing a lot of different interviews. And I wanted to add here that I, when I graduated from grad school, I was really set on moving to a developing country. And I really was focused on, you know, working in a rural area and focusing on alleviating poverty and addressing environmental issues in the most vulnerable of communities. Um, And I was interviewing for jobs like working in very rural villages and in some like post-war countries and places like that. But I, after I graduated, I had a huge health stare and I had to put everything on hold. Um, And I still deal with health issues because of that. And I think a lot of it was triggered by stress and burnout related to school and stuff. But Um, I don't normally share this when I tell my career story, but I wanted to share it as part of this um, podcast because I think sometimes we have really big setbacks in our careers and life doesn't turn out the way that we expect. I mean, for me, it's still something that I deal with and it will never be possible for me to ever work in a context where I don't have access to high quality healthcare. And, but it doesn't mean that there isn't something else out there or isn't something even better. I remember at the time thinking like that my career and the dreams I had for my future might be totally over and they weren't. So I say this as kind of a pause here, but just to encourage um, people who are listening and who may feel a bit stuck or sad or derailed that there are great things out there for you, even if it might not be what you expect. Oh my gosh. Well, thank you so much for for sharing that so openly and vulnerably. I just want to say I really appreciate it. Yeah. I mean, like I said, it's not something I normally would would talk about when sharing about my career, but I think it's really important as we think, uh, you know, about the future and as, as young people think about their careers and things happen that they don't expect or, you know, are, are not happy with that, 
it doesn't mean that life is over and that just because what you you wanted or expected didn't happen um, doesn't mean that there isn't something even greater out there for you. Mm-hmm. So I guess after that, I took some time, um, you know, to heal and to take care of my body. And I ended up working for a while with the World Bank on like a data analysis project. Um, they were assessing at the time Uh, global development finance flows and it was very interesting and enjoyable and very aligned with kind of the skills we had learned in grad school but it was also a very like solo in a desk very research focus and I was you know keen to work with people on real project implementation and so as fate would have it I ended up returning to Korea and I never planned on returning to Korea after I had first left but one of the partner organizations of the project that I mentioned I had worked on in Thailand um, had recently moved their headquarters to Seoul, and they were looking for a program officer for sustainable urban development. And that had been kind of the exact area that I had worked on in my internship. And so I applied and began this new role again back in Korea, working with um, cities, small and medium-sized cities and municipalities across Asia, um, mostly focused on capacity building uh, related to urban planning, um, transport, waste management, and renewable energy, and also to connect them with other cities across the region to develop a network and share best practices in some of these sectoral areas. Um, This role was super interesting for me, and I learned so much about empowering local stakeholders and stepping back and um, sharing tools and resources so that they could shape their own city and community in the way that they knew and wanted to do. Um, But I also learned that a lot of times leveraging these kinds of tools uh, and resources was very complex, especially in a context where climate policy and finance and climate negotiations were all happening at a national level. And it was so much harder for these cities to receive a lot of um, that finance or to take part in a lot of these discussions and decisions. So I decided to move my career um, in in a slightly different direction to focus more on delivering technical assistance for climate policy and finance. And that's how I moved to my current organization at GGGI, which stands for the Global Green Growth Institute. Um, So at GGGI, I've worked in several different roles. Um, I started working in a unit where we were developing new programs. So we would... um, basically build a new program from the ground up and design the the projects and operational structure needed to start that program. Um, And then I also moved into more of a partnerships role, working with donors and partners, basically to maximize our impact together in the climate policy and finance space. And and doing all of these things was great, but I was working in like a very headquarters kind of focused role. And I started to miss Um, working more on project management and implementation. And so I moved internally into um, a role in our Latin America and Caribbean portfolio, which is basically the role I'm in now. 
Um, so my role involves managing and supporting our portfolio of programs across um, the whole region. And basically, we what we do is support our member governments to transition to an economic model of green growth that encompasses economic growth, environmental sustainability, and social conclusion. So, sorry, social inclusion. And practically, that means that we're supporting the development of either climate policy or related sectoral policies. So that could be, you know, transport, energy, waste management, or other related sectoral policies, and the mobilization of climate finance um, and green investment with the ultimate goal of um, reducing greenhouse gas emissions, creating green jobs, increasing access to sustainable services, improving air quality, and um, enhancing adaptation to climate change. So in my day-to-day work now, I solve operational and programmatic challenges for our teams so that they can really excel in their roles as technical advisors to the government and also to the private sector. And that includes like practically financial planning, strategic planning, and mobilizing resources, developing relationships with our governments and with partners, designing new programs, and in general advocating for the tools and resources that our staff need to be um, successful in their roles. And this year, as part of this role, I moved to um, our regional office for Latin America and the Caribbean, which is in Mexico City. So I was planning to move in 2020, but unfortunately, um, the pandemic delayed my move a bit. <laughs> and yeah, I guess in in many ways, as I mentioned in the beginning, I feel like uh, my life has come full circle and my organization even has projects in the region of Mexico where my nana grew up. And I think, uh, you know, moving to Korea the first time was a bit of a random choice for me. And a lot of people in my life didn't really understand it. At the time, for me, the motivation was to do something different and to get out of my comfort zone. But I, I don't, I can't say I had like a super clear or long-term reason for wanting to move to Korea. But I think, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think... I look back on everything that's happened and see that it was because that I went to Korea that I was able to build a network in Asia. And because of that, I ended up in Latin America. And it seems like a very roundabout way of getting here. But whenever I think of like the bigger story of my life and my career, I always think it's... um, really important to accept what the world brings us and even in the moment where maybe it's not what we expected or what we wanted or we don't even fully understand it. I think each of our careers and life stories um, play out very uniquely and they're uniquely ours and they weave together in a way that makes sense for our lives. And uh, yeah, as you mentioned, like 10 years ago when I started working in this space, there were very few like explicit climate jobs for people who weren't academics or scientists or, you know, very specifically focused in, um, yeah, in a hard science area. But the world has changed so much. And I mean, it's so exciting to see. I can't believe I'm seeing like companies like 
Netflix talking about nature or, you know, investment banks talking about initiatives to mobilize climate finance. So it's a really exciting time to be part of this space. And I feel really grateful and um, humbled and happy to be to be part of it. Oh, my gosh. Well, thank you so much for sharing like the full journey with us. Um, and you totally answered one of my questions before I could even ask you, which is what, <laughs> what, um, what like the day to day of having a role like yours looks like. Um, and it's just like, I mean, for what we studied, like as contacts, we, like, I don't know if you mentioned it was international relations, um, international development, but I feel like it's like, so uh, such a dream job <laughs> for an international <laughs> relations student, the work that you get to do now. Yeah, it's amazing. And I, I do I, I do think like back then I would have been so excited to have the job that I am now and it didn't go on a straight path. But I, I like I said, I feel very grateful to be where I am now. Uh, that's so cool to hear. Um, well, and I'd love to hear, especially for people listening who either maybe like love to travel but have never worked internationally or people who dream of working internationally or people who have zero interest in working internationally but <laughs> want to live vicariously through you. Um, like what has it been like to have such an international career? I feel like even for me, I'm like so much of my network is in the U.S. and like a little bit in Europe. But I mean, you've really like put down real roots in multiple places now. Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, for me, I think working internationally has been amazing and it suits my interests and passions and personality very well. But of course, of course, there are pros and cons to everything. Um, on the you know pro side, I've grown a really great network of friends and colleagues all over the world. And I've learned several languages and I've seen how different people live and think and operate. But at the same time, of course, it's hard to be away from family and friends. And there are times when I feel, you know, well, you said that setting down roots in multiple countries, but I would say I feel more often like I don't have roots anywhere. And that includes even sometimes the U.S., you know, I've been outside of the U.S. for a while now. And so sometimes when I go back, it doesn't even fully, fully feel like I belong there either. So I I do think that all of that, though, has given me a lot of inner strength and a lot of time to kind of sit with myself and understand what I want and need and think about how I grew up and where my worldview comes from. I mean, we're all products of our experiences and circumstances, and I think intentionally kind of putting a crack in that and examining some of those things is very important for a, a rich life and a a rich worldview. Um, for me, like I think living internationally really opened my eyes to how we live in the U.S. and how how great some things are and how terrible other things are. But more than anything, like how there are always other ways to do things. I think when you grow up in one place, you think that you don't think about other ways to do things. And now I realize that there are a thousand ways, and none of them is necessarily the right way. So I really encourage anyone interested in living or working abroad to do it. Like I said, it doesn't come without challenges, but um, I think it's an amazing experience. And if you can do it while you're young, because although it's possible any time in life, it's much easier when you're healthy and flexible and without 
um, too many ties. So, <laughs> or any I, like nice stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Also that, yeah, this moving this time I had to sell everything and yeah, it's painful. <laughs> totally. Totally. I was going to ask actually, like, what was it like to move halfway around the world mid pandemic? Yeah, I mean, I had been waiting for over a year to move. And so we were staying in this small apartment and kind of every month hoping things would improve, which seems so silly now looking back. But um, um, I get it. Like we were all, I feel like, especially in the early, I remember like being like, yeah, like I think maybe by like, I, I thought we were going to have like a summer of love last summer, <laughs> which is so not what happened. Yeah, I mean, we were, I, I, at one point I had packed all of my bags and was ready to buy a ticket. And that was like around the time when the pandemic had already kind of hit China and Korea and a few other parts of Asia, maybe a little bit in the US, but not Latin America yet. And then as soon as I was kind of ready to go, that was when it started hitting Latin America. And I realized that it wasn't going to happen for a while. But I mean, people move, I guess, internationally in different ways. Some people bring all their stuff in a container and ship it around the world. But I, I don't think that's very sustainable for me. And at the time in the pandemic, you know, shipping wasn't um, wasn't happening <laughs> smoothly or cheaply by any means. And so we basically sold all of our stuff. Um, we put some things in storage and, and yeah, packed things in two big suitcases and a carry-on and have moved here <laughs> like that. Um, and yeah, now we're kind of getting some things to make it feel more like home. But I think, yeah, not having nice, not having nice things is a good place to be when you're, when you decide to move. <laughs> totally. Well, now you get to like start all over again, right? Like there's, it's a clean slate. Yeah, that part is fun. Amazing. Amazing. Well, I'd love to talk a little bit more about some like, I wouldn't, I won't say work stuff. I'll say like work-ish stuff. Okay. Um, <laughs> specifically, I know like leadership is something that's really been important to you as a person and been important throughout your career. And I also think it's so interesting how differently people define leadership. And I'm curious, like, mm. what does leadership mean to you? Yeah, that's a really good question. And it's something I think about, I've been thinking about a lot nowadays, but I think, I think leadership or true leadership is vision and results oriented, but centered in the growth and well-being of the people that are being served. And those people for me include both like the clients or beneficiaries that we're working for, but also the team and the employees that a leader is leading. And I really believe when it comes down to it, that leadership is about service and that when a leader is focused both on excellence in the delivery of their work, but also serving clients and serving teams, that's when real success and innovation and results can come about because people are feeling heard, they feel secure, and they are not feeling burnt out. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I think that combination is yeah very important. Absolutely. I love that so much. I remember I was just telling someone the other day that like at one of I've had I've been lucky to have a lot of great bosses over the course of my career. But one thing that one particularly great boss used to do was he was like a vice president, um, a couple levels 
uh, he was my boss's boss. And I just always now looking back, like when I started at Qualcomm as an intern, um, and I was like 23, 22, 23, he would call me boss. (laughs) (laughs) But very much had this energy of like, you're in charge. Tell me what you need me to do. Um, And it was so empowering in a way that I don't even think I appreciated at the time. But now when I think about like what leadership is, I'm like, oh, that's cool. Like that's a cool vibe. (laughs) Yeah, that's amazing. I, um, I recently, a, a woman that I had worked with very closely for a long time gave a, a talk about leadership. And, and one of the things she said that really resonated with me is that leadership is about creating and imagining new futures. And I, I, I think about that in, in what your boss is saying, but also like when it comes to the massive issues in the world, like climate change, I mean, we have to be able to see a different future than the one we're living in now in order to sustain our work and to deliver these solutions that are required to actually make a change. And it's also true, not just in those huge issues that the world faces, but also like the example that you just gave, I mean, in the day-to-day interactions with our colleagues, if we want people to grow and we want, and you know, we want to, to see them lead from the great qualities that they already have, we have to imagine that future and allow them to create it. It's the same with organizations. If we want them to be, you know, inclusive and diverse and psychologically safe, we have to be willing to create that. And of course, it's true for, for ourselves. Totally, totally. And it's like, often, we have to go first, right? Like, I think leadership is being willing to, like, go first in creating the future that we want to see. Yeah, totally. And I think, you know, we've all had, you know, bosses that are lazy or ineffective. And that doesn't mean they're a leader just because they're in a position of power, right? I think of (laughs) I think of someone like like Greta Thunberg, who literally has awoken a generation, like a movement of young people, and she was just a child. So I think it doesn't matter, you know, the position or the, the level of power that you have, but it's about, um, yeah, taking that action and being willing, like you said, to be the first. Yes. Absolutely. I mean, I think like leading with authority is one thing. There's like so much responsibility there when you have authority, but leadership without authority is like such a force. (laughs) Completely. Yes, totally. Uh, Well, I would love to know, I mean, you've definitely had like, you know, a pretty demanding career. I imagine like with some high stakes, high stress moments. Um, How have you maintained balance over the course of your career? (laughs) <laughs> well, I guess I should say, like, I don't think I have maintained balance. It's something I I struggle with on a daily basis. Um, I think I work too much <laughs> and I'm flawed, but it's something that I'm really aware of and that I try to work every day to be better at because I think especially, I mean, I know you work with a lot of women that are in impact-focused careers, Um when you are working like on these really big global problems that not one person can solve and that there's not one solution for, it's really easy to make that become all encompassing because the work we do is never ending. Mm -hmm. It literally can affect like the future of the planet and the livelihoods of people. 
And there's, there's always more to do. And if you don't make boundaries with your work and I think also with yourself, mm-hmm. you will burn out. And I think <laughs> it happens to a lot of people. I think it's happened to me and you know, your body or your mind or your circumstances will, will not let you continue to live that way. Um, so I think we all need to do a better job to, yeah, to be, do excellent work while at the same time maintaining, yeah, balance and healthy boundaries. So some practical things that I do are one, I like try to go to the gym as frequently as possible with like a class that has a time. Mm-hmm. So that means that I can't miss it. <laughs> um, I if I, you know, it helps me if it's on the calendar and I stop my day before it starts. And um, I think also like spending time with people who work in completely different areas and that have a variety of interests so that you can kind of rest the part of your mind that's really focused on, you know, big world problems and endless work. And I also think for me, like spending time being creative, whether that's like drawing or cooking or making music I think we all like all humans are meant to create and I think it's a really good way to rest and express our emotions and I also always to the extent possible try to take a long holiday at the end of the year so that I can really unplug and spend time reflecting and be restored for for the next year and shut off my phone and, (laughs) you know, really like take a step back. Oh, awesome. Do you have anything fun specific that you're comfortable sharing planned for the end of this year? Yeah, we're going um, on a trip in in the U.S. We're going to go to Seattle for a few days and spend some time with my my parents in Arizona. And then we'll go to the the mountains in Arizona for a few days. So I... I try to keep it pretty low key and very like rest focused. Totally. Totally. That sounds like a dream. I'm also (laughs) intending to take the last two weeks of this year off and I'm like, Oh good. So ready. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think sometimes when I talk about how excited I am for my, my holiday, I think people can think that I hate my job, but that's not the case at all. I think it's just that you get to a point where like, you know, one day off is not going to restore you. And yeah, we, I, I really try to like normalize taking, you know, a, a good chunk of time off so that I can, so that I can be my best in the work that I do and treat my colleagues well and do my work to, um, yeah, the best that I can. Totally, totally. No, I'm, I'm with you. I like, I love what I do. And um, <laughs> I think rest is just like, well, rest is, is so, I don't even want to use the word productive because I feel like that's like makes it like adds a layer of like hustle to rest that I don't want to add. (laughs) (laughs) But I feel like rest can be so creative and so essential. Like we're not meant to be on 24 seven. It does make you better at your job. I mean, I think when I'm well rested, I have more ideas. I'm more excited. You know, I can focus better. So all around 100% recommend. Yes, absolutely. And I feel like when I was younger, I, well, there were times when I just straight up couldn't take time off at the end of the year because of either working on like the climate negotiations or the world economic forum or like things that were happening that were part of my job that I didn't have control over. Um, but now I'm like, oh, it actually is just easier to take time off when everyone's taking time (laughs) off. 
Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, awesome. Well, I'd love to hear, um, speaking of the climate negotiations, uh, although I know they, they will have happened by the time this episode airs, we're talking um, while they're still ongoing. But I'd love <laughs> to hear your take on how the climate space is evolving right now and like what's exciting to you about what's happening um, on the climate action front. I know you mentioned a little bit up front, but I would love to hear more. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I think 10, you know, 10 years ago, even when I started working, I couldn't, I could never imagine what is happening now. It's really, really exciting for me to see the private sector, the public sector, you know, individual people, NGOs, etc. It feels like all of society is finally coming together to work on this one big issue. And that is really inspiring and exciting. But of course, that also means that we're seeing like a lot of greenwashing, a lot of initiatives that people are and work and companies and organizations are undertaking just to check a box and things that won't have an impact on the climate. And, you know, a lot of hypocrisy we've seen. We've seen at the COP wealthy individuals attending on their private planes while also making that zero commitments at the same time. Um, so I think it's a a bit of a dichotomy, but I, I try to be really positive because I think if if we're going to solve an issue like this, we do all need to come together and we all, you know, every part of society needs to be working towards this and prioritizing this. And I think there really is a burden on the privileged, you know, on the wealthy, white, developed countries um, to sacrifice a little bit I think up until now there has been a lot of yes we're you know pro net zero as long as I don't have to make any sacrifices for my personal life and I think we all need to make commitments if we really want to address climate change both in our personal life and at a bigger organizational company and societal level totally total and I think I don't know what's been wild to me is like the technology to do this has existed for so long <laughs> like it's we don't actually need any new technology we all just need to work together on this <laughs> yeah and work together and actually do it I mean do mm-hmm. things that are a bit uncomfortable and and I mean for me I don't even really like entertain the kind of anti you know climate change crew but but I I mean I do think that at least in the U.S. they have enough of an influence that that are stopping some companies or states from from really taking action and we do need everyone on board if we're really going to make a change in this world absolutely absolutely my fingers are so crossed (laughs) (laughs) that we are finally getting there and that it's not too late yeah yes that's the the scary thing, I think that, you know, I, I have so much hope in Gen Z because they're, they're the ones that are here calling out every, mm-hmm. <laughs> everyone for, for being hypocrites and for greenwashing and for saying a lot and doing a little. So I, I do feel hopeful. Like I think um, we're moving in the right direction, but it's true. We've already caused a lot of damage. And if we don't take action really quickly, it could be too late. Mm-hmm. Definitely. But yes, Gen Z. I'm <laughs> loving that vibe right now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I saw a video the other day with Greta Thunberg 
doing like blah blah blah. blah. Oh yeah, he is such an idol. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, just really ruthlessly calling people out, which is probably what we need. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, I'd love to ask you just a couple more questions. one of my favorite things to ask other women is, is what advice would you give your younger self? And you can pick a specific age or just give like generic younger self advice, but what do you wish you had known when you were younger? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think maybe I've touched on it a little bit, but I think I would give advice to my, you know, myself in my twenties to, to be at peace and that my life, um, is exciting and my my dreams are great and that my life will be really good even if it's not uh, in the same form that you I imagined mm. easier said than I think received in your <laughs> 20s huh <laughs> totally totally but when I think back to my 20s I think I spent a lot of unnecessary time very worried and very concerned like that I would never get a job or you know that I would be living in my parents childhood in my childhood bedroom in my parents house forever and you know at the time those fears seemed very real but totally step back and and see the bigger picture like it's it seems silly now uh, yeah, but what a relief that it feels slowly now because I totally was right there with you. <laughs> it was really interesting to me talking to someone who is probably like 10 or 15 years older than me who really didn't understand like why I felt so lucky to have like every job I've ever had. And it really made me realize the extent to which like our experience of graduating in the recession, like did a number on us in terms of our dreams. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I mean, we, we really have like generational trauma and I think our generation more than, more than Gen Z and more than the generation ahead of us, you know, we had a lot of very real like livelihood concerns. Like we knew people who lost their jobs and didn't get another one for a long time. And so I, I mean, I think I, to my younger self, I, I validate those concerns, but I also think, you know, like life, life is good. And if you keep making brave choices and, and taking risks, like you, you know, you will, you will get the life that you want. Mm, yes, Absolutely. Um, well, in that same vein, um, and I know that you've listened to a few podcast episodes, so you probably know the question that's coming, which I love asking everyone uh, here, <laughs> surrounded by inspirational post-it notes. Um, <laughs> if you got to put a quote from you or from someone that you know or love on an inspirational post-it note, like what words are inspiring you right now? Yeah, so I thought about this one. Um, I have two. So I've been reading some of the leadership books by Brene Brown. And I love this quote from her that says, choose the great adventure of being brave and afraid at the exact same time. Mm. Um, And I love that because I think, uh, yeah, I think it's so easy to feel afraid and to not want to take action or to feel afraid. And so you remain you know, quiet and locked inside of yourself. But I think, um, yeah, we really see the great results and growth of our life when we um, are brave in in that same moment. I love that, that feeling of brave and afraid at the same time. 
um, is so juicy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then my my other post-it note that I I have on my computer and on my phone um, would be the grass is always greener where you water it, and I think. You know, I think sometimes people see me and think like, oh, you've lived in all these places. Your life must be so exciting. But eventually, wherever you are in the most exciting city in the world or, you know, in your childhood bedroom, your life is just the culmination of the day-to-day habits that you have and the the things that you do and and believe about yourself. And I think remembering that, you know, we need to take care of what has been entrusted to us and that that's what will make a great life, not not moving to some other place or getting the next amazing job. I think we've, we see a lot of miserable people in, in dream jobs and dream cities. And, and <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, watering our own grass wherever we are. Uh, I love that. It reminds me of my, um, my partner's mom, uh, my future mother-in-law. Uh, <laughs> I know, right? Uh, she always says, be where your feet are. And it's just such a yes. good reminder. <laughs> yes, so good. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Marina, for taking the time uh, to sit down with me for this podcast. I feel like you are just like such a fascinating person, um, so inspiring, and really, really, really appreciate your sharing like your journey, the work that you're doing and your perspective on like climate change and climate action and leadership. It's just been such a treat to get to talk to you um, about all this stuff. Thank you, Liz. It's been so amazing to reconnect with you this year. And I think this podcast is such a great idea. And I'm so looking forward to all of your future guests as well. Oh my gosh. Well, thank you so much. And um, last question for you. Is there a place for people to find you if they want more Marina in their lives? <laughs> I think the best the best way for people to find me would be on LinkedIn, which is basically LinkedIn slash uh, Marina Brendan. Awesome. We'll make sure to include the link in the show notes, but thank you so much again. Great. Thank you so much, Liz. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the Women Changing the World podcast. Please rate and review the Women Changing the World podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Google Podcasts, and don't forget to subscribe for future episodes. You can find me on Instagram at liz.best, that's L-A-S dot B-E-S-T, or by searching my name, Liz Best, on LinkedIn. If you're feeling like something has to give in your life, but you're not quite sure what, take my free Wheel of Life assessment by visiting Elizabeth Best, that's Elizabeth with an S, best.com slash wheel hyphen of hyphen life. See you in the next episode.